It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. One man. Goodbye. Hello, Heisman. 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Everybody and welcome back to the Three Technique, a college football podcast presented by Anchor. Episode three, ready to go. I'm Mitch Mason, along with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. We make up the Three Tech Pod. Glad to have you guys with us here this afternoon. And uh, fellas, we're, we're a couple episodes in. We've gotten the coaching carousel out of the way. The highlights, maybe some of the lowlights in that as well. Those have been covered in the first two episodes. If you have not listened to those, we would highly encourage you. Go find those. Let us know what you think. Uh, And now it's time to jump into recruiting. And essentially, instead of spending multiple weeks rehashing the 2022 recruiting class, we kind of wanted to compile uh, some of our most pithy thoughts into one episode so that we can then move forward into a variety of our other topics. Um, before we do get there, though, have to remind you guys, as a new podcast, your interactions, your subscriptions, your follows uh, are all vitally important to us. So we would really ask that you go out to uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find us there at 3TechPod. Of course, we're on Apple, Spotify, really anywhere you get your podcasts, a follow, a rating, a comment, all of those uh, do wonderful things for brand new podcasts. But with the housekeeping out of the way, Garrett, Trey, we've got recruiting our group text before we started this podcast when that entire season was going along was just lit up with recruiting. Uh, Trey, I'll start with you. What is your favorite part of the the recruiting cycle generally? Man, um, there's so many different types, but I think as you get into the fall, with those big visit weekends those are always really fun to follow when you know a school has a big game on campus there's 15 to 20 prospects across a couple different classes that are all in town for those one weekends those are just really fun to follow Um, you can see some really amazing classes develop out of those weekends and we see time and time again so many kids just get really excited um in the moment on those recruiting visits. And we see a lot of commits sometimes that we're not expecting um, just with kids that are really excited to be on campus during a big game. So that's probably my favorite part. Yeah. Garrett, same question to you. What's your favorite part? And then uh, I'll also throw you this. What Maybe what's the the worst part of <laughs> the, the recruiting season, the recruiting cycle that we go in, you know, through year in and year out. Um, well, man, let me tell you what my favorite part about recruiting is that first big recruit dropping, you know, you get that first top 10 guy, we're all waiting on the commit, 
We all think we know where he's going. And then boom, he picks the school. We know. And then you get a run at that position. You get a run where other teams were waiting to see what that guy was going to do before they send out another offer. Uh, and then it all just starts to space up and, and, and really heat up from there. Um, the worst part of recruiting is absolutely when you get that, that picture uh, it's the, the iPhone note page. Uh, and you just know that the, you know, I've been talking to everybody. Thank you for all these coaches. Thank you all these things, but I am going to decommit. Please respect my decision. And it's, yeah. it just kind of gets the form. I'm like, well, make your choice. You know, if you're not ready, don't make your choice. But, you know, and, and it's a different thing if you've got a coach change or if you got, you know, maybe something that happened a way that was different or, you know, something else happened that you were maybe promised something behind the scenes and then it comes back. But I just feel like there's too many of those for it to always be understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I totally understand. It really hurts when it's your team, but I think a lot of us also get kind of fed up with seeing that around other programs as well. It seems like, you know, once one uh, big time commit leaves a program, typically there, there could be some negative momentum there and then kids back off their commitments, you know, that, that tends to get a little bit more frustrating. Now, before we dive into the recruiting superlatives for the 2022 class, one thing that this is not going to be is an exegesis on the NIL landscape. Uh, that can be covered in a different podcast. That can be covered in a series of podcasts. The NIL landscape and all the details that go into it now with collectives starting to rise up, um, the rumors surrounding that, that's not what this podcast is about. So what we are going to do is maybe mention it in a couple of cases, but it's not meant to be, hey, this this school, this is the rumor around this school and what their NIL program did or didn't do. We are looking at just the black and white, bare bone facts. Here are the recruiting classes. Here are the rankings. And here are some of the superlatives that we plucked out of that. Uh, I do think that inevitably we will talk NIL landscape. You know, that's something that I have literally had a hand in doing it at a, a past stop um, in my career. But anyway, all of that to say, in case you are concerned that this is about to be a dive into the NIL bylaws, that's not what we're here to do. This podcast does not take ourselves that seriously. So, well, and like you said, we have the NIL. It is what it is. It doesn't stop the players from being on campus. We're talking players today. We're talking teams, players, yeah. what they're going to do with it. We can talk about the merits of who paid who what and what chat board says what about this guy and this team and bagman and everything else but that's that's not the point of this podcast okay wait for the nil episode to drop it's right. coming guys don't worry it will come yeah it's it's an important thing we need to talk about but yeah let's just focus on the players exactly that's too fun. too early in the podcast to start doing our taxes over here so uh with that being said let's get into the first recruiting superlative best overall class and this does not come with a lot of debate they are the consensus number one class they have the best class, potentially, at least in the ratings, the best class in recruiting history. We'll see what the development looks looks like in College Station. But the top overall class in the country belongs to the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, that, again, was a consensus ranking. 30 signatures, including transfers, coming into the 2022 season. Jimbo Fisher has you know, well-established himself in College Station now. And now the question is, how high can he take the maroon and white? They've been to an Orange Bowl. They beat North Carolina two seasons ago. They underachieved last season, going 8-4, and four, a bad loss to LSU to conclude the season. And then they don't get to have their bowl game against Wake Forest because of COVID issues. But on its surface, looking at just these 30 signatures, 
We've never seen anything like this class in college football history. An average score of 94.91 per recruit, a total score of 332.87, the most ever recorded, eight five stars in this class, more than the Big 12 and Big 10 combined, and the best D-line recruiting haul in recorded history. Garrett, let's start with you here. Uh, looking at this talent, it truly looks like video game numbers. And, you know, I think I even put this into our uh, text thread back when it happened. It's really hard to do something like that in a video game. So when you see this compilation of talent going down to College Station, overall impression of the class, and then Trey, I think, will end up talking about where we think this class can take the Aggies. But first, Garrett, initial reaction on the class. I mean, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at some of the numbers. I mean, eight, five stars, like you were saying, 94.91 average score. Uh, I don't know. Trey, is that, is that, is that good? It's not bad. It's not bad. You're right. Um, (laughs) Anyways. So no, I just, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wow, the talent infusion heading down to college station is huge. And, you know, sometimes you look at these classes and they get real stacked at one position. Uh, You know, in this case, it was the D line that got stacked up. But if you ask people around the program, they're going to want, uh, you to know that this is where they want their guys. They want guys along the offensive and defensive lines. And the fact that you're going to get that many guys to contribute that early, probably. I mean, we're looking at even some of the early stuff coming in from Anthony Lucas. Uh, and I know Walter Nolan was kind of the headlining piece of that class. But I mean, looking at all those guys, I think you're really excited if you're an AM fan. Uh, and let's not pretend like this is all just the D line. I mean, You've got studs across the board. It wasn't like all of the five stars were on the D-line. There were loads um, just across the board. And so I think this is this is a big class coming in for the Ags. Um, and, and obviously, you're looking at a situation where you're in the SEC West. You still have to compete with Bama year in and year out. Uh, and then if you ever get over that hump, you still have to probably go play Georgia in the SEC championship game. So you have to start stacking classes that are going to compete with those guys. You know, we talk about X's and O's and Jimmy's and Joe's. Well, you finally are starting to see the Jimmy's and Joe's line up in college station, ready to play against the other guys in the sec. Yeah, I agree. This, this officially gets the three tech pod stamp of approval. A uh, fantastic job working in our motto there. You know, Trey, you, you look at this talent and like Garrett said, it's not just on, on the D line. It's not just in the trenches, which, you know, objectively you need to win in the sec but also what have the aggies struggled with the last couple of years it's been quarterback play and it's been skill players out wide and in the secondary and this class gave such an infusion of talent at all three position groups you look at the quarterback spot with connor wegman coming in one of the highest quarterback recruits in a&m history evan stewart coming in out wide who's supposed to be a, a very uh, prominent contributor in year one as a true freshman. You've got Chris Marshall coming in, Noah Thomas, a very underrated wide receiver who's drawn comps to Mike Evans, the best to ever do it in Aggieland. And then in the secondary as well, whether you're looking at cornerbacks like Denver Harris, Bryce Anderson at safety, to me, they've checked a lot of boxes, at least on the surface, on the paper, right, to say, hey, A&M can be a force in the SEC West for years to come. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Um, two of the top five wide receivers in the country, um, both from the state of Texas, arguably the top dual threat quarterback in the country who honestly looked maybe the best of the three that are going to be fighting for that job. Can you consider that he's it's his first yeah. semester on campus when they were playing their spring game? I think 
you know, you look at it, there's a lot of defensive linemen that are going to be fighting for playing time. I don't think that's a bad thing in the SEC West. But I think the thing, you know, you can go on and on finding things to gush about about this class. I think the thing that I am most impressed about with Jimbo Fisher, 30 commits, only 17 are from the Lone Star State. Yeah. And Texas is a talent-rich state. You can win a lot of games just recruiting Texas. But I think we talked about this on the coaching hires, our favorite coaching hires episode. You have to be able to recruit nationally in 2022. And you look at their top commits, um, several from Florida, one from uh, Anthony Lucas from Arizona, Walter Nolan, the top recruit in the country from Tennessee, several from Georgia that they won head-to-head battles against the national champion Georgia Bulldogs. It's all over the place. They even got a tight end from Sweden in this class. Mm -hmm. Um, That's my most impressive thing. If you want to talk about um, just what you need to do to build a national championship contending program, that's what A&M hired Jimbo to do. And this is the class that can get them on par with Alabama. Now they have to follow it up with a strong 2023. You can't just rest on this class because guess what? Alabama came in second and they actually had a higher average recruit ranking than the Aggies did. Um, and so, and they're not going away. They're going to be on your schedule, um, every year until the sec redoes the schedule with Texas and OU coming in, but amazing class. You can't say enough about it. We could go on and on finding superlatives, but it is going to get the Aggies in position to be a force in the sec. Yeah. And and they've got to back that up with development. Like you said, can't just, you know, win a championship with, everyone at their current level they've got to continue to get better that's you know the biggest question that folks have had nationally around Jimbo Fisher is you know has this program developed Um, yes the Orange Bowl win was great a little bit of a regression last year I think a lot of Aggies would point to the struggles at quarterback as maybe one of the biggest reasons for that Calzada has obviously transferred to Auburn might not win the job out on the plains right now so when you look at the quarterback Haynes King um, Max Johnson transferring in from LSU, whose last game beat AM in the Bayou. And then you've got Connor Wegman, as we mentioned, coming in. Uh, just a, a tremendous class. It was fun to watch them put that class together. You know, now what do they do with that will be the biggest question. On the other side of the coin, as we keep moving along here, best overall class, Texas AM. Next superlative, most disappointing class. Uh, in 2022. And for me, guys, it's got to be Arizona State. 103rd nationally with only nine high school recruits. Let me let me list off some of the teams that they lost to here in 2022. Temple, who we talked about in the last podcast, an abysmal 2021. Ball State, New Mexico, Florida International, who didn't even have a head coach when they made most of these recruit signings. Georgia State, UNLV comes in at 102. They barely beat out South Alabama, Western Michigan, Old Dominion, and New Mexico State, just to name a few. Herm Edwards, and we talked about this a little bit, uh, I think, in passing on one of the first two podcasts. Herm Edwards really seems like this program is is going backwards, to be quite honest. And they're enveloped in a, a, a ton right now with uh, – NCAA investigation seemingly breathing down their neck. Um, They only signed, like I said, nine high school signatures. Part of that is because of the coaching changes. Antonio Pierce has to leave from the D.C. uh, job to go back to the NFL because of those, you know, the the NCAA heat that's surrounding that program and and the improper use of uh, of coaching 
uh, resources of hosting recruits on campus during the pandemic. I mean, you go and look at any of the other information out there, any of the other reporting out there, everyone kind of agreed like, you know, that was the biggest no-no of this entire process is all the coaches had a handshake agreement that, okay, look, literally global pandemic, we will not host recruits on campus. One, because it's illegal. Two, it just doesn't make sense from a health and safety protocol. And now Arizona State probably did that. And there are receipts to prove it. I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing. And, And guys, we haven't even talked about the kids transferring out. Garrett, as a program that at one point was supposed to be competing for Pac-12 championships, only getting nine high school recruits. I mean, that's that's a tough scene. No, it's not going to help. Um, you're going to see a bunch of tryouts probably see who can come on and just be a warm <laughs> body on the field. Um, look, I mean, th- this isn't really that good. And what makes it worse is you're looking around uh, right now. And if you just take a peek over to your West, Lincoln Riley just touched down in Los Angeles, and that's not going to make your job any easier. Um, and then, you know, let's not even forget about the fact that Utah is still a force. Um, and, and you got your in-state Arizona that's maybe making a little bit of a swing in the right direction. So uh, look, it's not, not exciting times to be an Arizona State fan right now. Um, I, I don't know how much else I can really add to it. You I mean, pretty much nailed all the details, but yeah, so many guys leaving, not bringing in very much. Um, You got to get this thing right in a hurry. Um, You would hope that you could bring some guys in through the portal, maybe over the summer while, you know, you got guys, you know, maybe thinking about their situation at other schools maybe you could get them in on the portal. But if you don't do that, you're looking for another pretty rough year. Yeah. And I'll, I'll paint a little bit brighter picture because, you know, nine high school recruits, that's, never a good thing five of them did come in as early enrollees so hopefully those guys will be ready to go highlighted by um four-star running back tevin white um from and virginia. they also got yeah all the way from virginia so you know it's not all doom and gloom it's not a pretty picture when you finish 103rd um in recruiting but they also did get 14 guys out of the portal so far and you know that doesn't completely offset the number of guys that have fled that program but you look they did they were able to attract guys like Emory Jones who was a starting quarterback at Florida Um, I think there's a lot of hope Um, he'll be competing for that job immediately Um, just going also through their list they got um, a really nice D-line prospect um, from Miami they also got um, Paul Tyson quarterback that was fighting for time uh, he was going to be in the battle at Alabama this year and um, yeah there's a few other guys that are promising, but can Herm make the difference for those guys? Is he able to coach those guys up at the collegiate level? That is a big question mark and something that's going to have to get answered um, really quickly if the Sun Devils are going to compete in the Pac-12 South this year. Yeah, and, and you know, like what Garrett said, you look at the the rest of the Pac-12. Look, the Pac-12 is prime for the taking right now. Oregon took a step backwards last season uh under Mario and you know obviously he's gone to Miami now we'll see what Dan Lanning can do USC while they have the flashy head coaching hire in Lincoln Riley and a bunch of uh transfers that that was a bad four and eight team last year and and we talked about that there is so much room for improvement uh, as far as the Trojans go Utah seems like the the most surefire team right now a lot of production coming back under Kyle Whittingham uh, you know, and then other teams like Colorado, UCLA, that are Washington, that are just kind of there. I mean, you know, maybe eight wins seems kind of like their ceiling right now, uh, maybe. And so, 
you would think this would be the time for Arizona State to really assert themselves. And and yet, when you look at the numbers, that's not what's happened, right? Before Herm Edwards, Arizona State was averaging 32 points a game on offense per game. Now they're actually under 28 points per game on offense. So this pro-style system, it hasn't resulted in this explosive offense that takes care of mismatches down the field. It's been a lot of instability and, and insecurity, and I think that's why you saw Jaden Daniels leave is, you know, he was fed up with not being able to win football games, feeling like he's having to run for his life behind an offensive line that was not good. And now he's gone to Baton Rouge where, you know, he's not even guaranteed the starting spot there, but he saw potentially the the case for LSU being stronger than actually being the starter in Tempe in a week Pac-12. I think that says quite a bit about the program. So, you know, Trey, you're right. That is the bright side where they did bring in you know, some talented high school recruits. They also lost a lot of commitments that initially had pledged to the Sun Devils. They did get some production out of the out of the portal, but you know, it's it's hit or miss whether or not you can glue all of those pieces together in one single season. And you know, Garrett, I know you're a keeper of the takes. My my kind of hot take with with Arizona State, if if the Sun Devils don't win at least eight or nine games this season, I think Herm Edwards is is for sure gone. He might be gone mm. mid-season. So, uh, the keeper of the hot takes approves. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate <laughs> that. Appreciate that. So a lot, lot going on in Tempe. Let's go down the road to Tucson now uh, for our third superlative here. We've got best overall class, Texas A&M. Most disappointing class, Arizona State at 103rd. Most surprising class, when I looked across the landscape, I saw one in eleven Arizona under second year now second year head coach Jed Fish pull in the twenty fourth ranked recruiting class. They had twenty two signature uh, signatures in that class, highlighted by wide receiver uh, Tetraroa McMillan, who they pull in from Oregon. He decommits from the Ducks, comes down to Tucson. They've got uh, a plethora of other talented prospects as well. Guys, what is going on in Tucson? I mean, this is a program that's been an underachieving program for several years. Obviously, Kevin Sumlin now gone to the USFL. Uh, Tucson, kind of a weird place to play. Uh, football stadium is not right there on campus. They've got the bear down hashtag, which is not the same as a wildcat, but <laughs> they're able to, to fill in in the top 25 in recruiting classes. It's incredible. Yeah, I think you know, having Arizona State be in such a state of disarray is definitely helpful. But just going down, they're locking down the area that they should be locking down. Most of these guys that they're getting to recruit are from the Southern California area. You mentioned McMillan. He's from Anaheim. Uh, Their second highest commit, uh, Keon Burnett, also from Anaheim, same high school. Um, McMillan is the highest rated, according to 247, he's their highest rated recruit that they've ever signed. So that is a huge, huge um, plus for Coach Fish and big uh, mark on the positive side on his ledger. Um, I love that they're just committing to a plan. And it seems like they, you know, the Kevin Sumlin era at Arizona was a disaster. Um, and Jed Fish, he was not um, very heralded coming into this job. A lot of question marks for him coming in. And certainly his first season on the field backed those questions up. But this is a really pleasant surprise for Arizona. I'm really, really excited to see what they can do. Same division that we're just talking about. It's wide open outside of USC and Utah. There's plenty of opportunity to take that next step and become 
a bowl eligible or bowl adjacent team here in YouTube <laughs> with all this talent. <laughs> bowl well, adjacent. I, mean, I don't know. Like this five, just... five and seven. That's yeah. bowl adjacent, right? I mean, I this team feels like one bowl. that should be good. Yeah, absolutely. This feels like a team that should be good. I mean, you're the big school. Sorry, Arizona State, but you're the big school, right? Yeah. You're you're the one that you know. You got the little bit of the. You know, the zone of the bear. I mean, that's kind of a war eagle thing, right? With, you know, it's that's not a tiger. It's kind of the same thing where they just need to pick an animal. But, you know, <laughs> it's it's kind of fun, though, right? And, you know, you got plenty of stuff going on there. Uh, not necessarily the success that you would have wished in the past, but definitely looking forward to what they can do there. Well, and, and, Mitch, and maybe you tweeted, didn't you tweet the other day from our account? Like, someone was asking what's the most surprising school that should be good yeah. but is not good and you said Arizona and I, I did wholeheartedly mm-hmm. agree with that power 5 party school lots of students lots of access to talent not only in state with Arizona but also as you mentioned southern california a lot of kids from texas want to go out to arizona as well you can recruit mm-hmm. colorado that's right there I, you know it's not it's not the southeast has a lot of talent Yes, it does. And so, you know, one and 11, look, that's not on, on Jed fish. Uh, that was truly the the hand that he was dealt left over from the Kevin Sumlin era. Um, but if they can improve and yeah, I think, you know, five and seven in year two, I think a four win change would be a lot to expect, but at the same time, um, I think that's where this roster is trending to. They've got some playmakers now on offense. Uh, if, if they can truly figure out who their quarterback is going to be of the future and, and then just have a reliable defense. I mean, this was a defense that is known for giving up all the points in the world. I think Arizona State beat them, what, like 70-3 to three, two seasons ago? Some, something abysmal like that. Ugly. Yeah, this is a defense that does, couldn't stop a bloody nose. So uh, hopefully Which there's... Is- you know, that's par for the course out there in the Pac-12. But again, you just you get a little bit of a pulse on defense. You throw some playmakers out there and see what can happen, right? That's right. Well, and, you know, again, with a name like Jed Fish, the band Fish, I think anytime we mention him, we might have to play a little farmhouse going forward. Um, <laughs> you're either in the fish boat or you're not. And uh, I, I think dark. I'm very much here for that. I, I think fishing in the dark is the drop we need to go with. I'll I'll, I'll get on that for there sure. There you go. All right. Uh, also, just wanted to shout out the the uh, Servite. I think I'm saying that right. Um, Anaheim High School uh, to Arizona Pipeline, running strong with four commits to Arizona. So, shout out Servite. Got to have an alumni on staff or something. Uh, exactly. The other, the one other shout out I'll give to Arizona before we move on. Also brought in eight transfers via the portal, including my personal favorite four-star wide receiver Jacob Cowing from UTEP. Picks up, baby. This is a pro UTEP podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. I what is, what's the name of the architecture that they've got over on UTEP's campus? Um, it's like it's it's like Japanese uh, uh, Bhutan, 17th century architecture wow. with 21st century innovation. I, I was create, not going to guess that one. I'm not yeah, going to lie. To create UTEP's either. campus, if you haven't seen it, go look it up. It, it looks like a jaunt through. Southeast Asia. It, it's it's truly incredible, and yet you're in El Paso, Texas. So shout out to the miners. Uh, hoping for big things this season we out of uh, Jacob Cowing and the boys. You're learning about high school recruiting. You're learning about architecture. You're, this is so much to learn from the three. We do a lot over here. You're welcome. Right. This this podcast is for the people. Um, okay, so two two more superlatives very quickly here. 
Uh, Arizona, the most surprising class, best transfer class. And this one may be a little bit of a hot take from, from us here at the three tech, because technically the numbers disagree with us. But when prepping for this show, I labeled Ole Miss as the best transfer class. Now, technically they're second in the rankings behind USC. They've got 15 transfers in this class. And those rankings do include just a few minutes before we hit record on today's episode, uh, UCF transfer wide receiver Jalen Robinson committing to Ole Miss. So those numbers are up to date. Those do reflect that transfer from Jalen Robinson. But still, when I look across the board, I know USC is flashy. I, I, I get it. But when I'm looking at which roster is going to have more instant impact and a chance to really make some noise, for me, it's hottie toddy and, you know, hashtag come to the sip. The portal king strikes again. You look at their their top transfers that have come in. Quarterback Jackson Dart from USC. Two running backs and Zach Evans from TCU and Ulysses Bennett the fourth from SMU, Trey, right down the road from us. Tight end Michael Trigg comes in from USC. And then I mentioned Jalen Robinson, who literally just commit. Robinson went viral by filming in the back of, what was it, like a Bentley or something that that Lane Kiffin was driving around Ole Miss. Uh, you know, uh, Lane's telling him like, oh, yeah, you're coming to the SIP. Like, you're committing today. So Kiffin's got a certain amount of swagger going on. And for me, what he's been able to do through that transfer portal has been, you know, really, really impressive. Fine if you guys disagree with me right there. And, and Trey, I'd love your evaluation first. I, I like Ole Miss more than USC's transfer uh, transfer list, like I said, for that kind of instant impact. Yeah, it's neck and neck for sure. And this isn't like a knock on USC's class because it's awesome and it's going to fill needs too. It's going to help Lincoln Riley compete in year one. But Ole Miss kind of has and always will have a keeping up with the Joneses problem in the SEC West. It's <laughs> they have to do something different than the Alabamas, the LSUs, the Texas A&Ms, the Auburns of the world. You know, they are if they just rely on the talent in the state of Mississippi and their immediate region. Ole Miss is a great school. It's going to be we've seen them recruit high school athletes at a top level with allegedly a little bit of help from some boosters, but um, <laughs> they are going to, they're going to have to hit the portal hard. And I think Lane Kiffin is embracing that, that backfields next year with Bentley and Evans. And it looks like Jackson Dart is probably going to be the favorite to win the QB job there. Another transfer. That's going to be scary for teams on Ole Miss's schedule. So I'm excited to see this. Um, they have a lot of potential and it helps them kind of bridge the gap um, from all these super classes that are getting signed in their division. Yeah. Well, and the reason I like this class so much is because, I mean, Lane Kiffin didn't coach these guys last year. He actually convinced these guys to come in and join his program uh, based on the merits of what they did. I mean, obviously Zach Evans with his 37th commit ever, um, you know, that guy, if you followed his recruitment, he, I mean, had a new team every day. didn't sign on signing day. That was, you know, a, in a, an interesting recruitment to say the least. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, Jackson Dart coming over, you know, we got Jalen Robinson just today. So uh, you got to be feeling good if you're Ole Miss. And I mean, you know, there's a lot that you can say about Lane Kiffin, positive and negative, but what he's doing out there uh, is nothing short of remarkable for what uh, Ole Miss should be doing on a year to year basis. And so uh, I'm excited to see if they're going to make the SEC West even better this year. It certainly feels like they're primed to do that. So much veteran 
playmaking talent that's now joined that team. And look, I mean, Ole Miss is a boomer bust team anyways. They just lost Matt Corral. Um, but at the same time, we've seen them pull some some pretty remarkable upsets. I mean, you think about their upset wins over teams like Alabama, over teams like Texas A&M, who they beat last year. Ole Miss always has that flair for the dramatic. Now you pair them with Lane Kiffin over the last couple of years, and now you give them just a hodgepodge of super talented kids, four and five star athletes in high school that you know now are trying to find their permanent home in Ole Miss. I think it's a recipe for fireworks. And yeah, I don't think any team is going to sign up to see Ole Miss on their schedule, right? That is certainly not a bye week. They may not be the team that plays the best defense, although their defense did improve a ton last season. And they may not be the team that's most consistent on offense. We'll have to see. You know, Jackson Dart certainly is the favorite coming in to win that quarterback battle. But I'll tell you what, watching that spring game, he didn't look good. He made a lot of bad throws through a couple interceptions. So we'll see what Ole Miss actually churns out once the regular season starts. But sitting here looking at highlights, looking at the Jimmys and Joes on paper, they're going to be a really, really fun team to watch. Potentially another fun team to watch in our last superlative here is Best Breakout Class. The Best Breakout Class award goes to Kentucky for me. 14th ranked class in the country, 20 signatures. We'll move through this one really quickly because it's not necessarily the flashiest class, but for Kentucky who needs to keep pace in the SEC East with Georgia, with Tennessee, with Florida, now with Billy Napier as they try and rebuild. To sign the 14th ranked class under Mark Stoops I think is fantastic, led by 6'8", monster 340 pound behemoth Keontae Goodwin at offensive tackle the Wildcats are everybody wanted yes everybody everybody. oh he moves people A&M moved into the recruitment uh super late with him Michigan State yeah everybody wanted that kid 6'8 340 pounds he's going to be the anchor for that offensive line for the next three to four years I think um like I said they're they're poised to make some more noise in that conference in the east that is absolutely loaded with talent this class i think combines power speed size agility all the intangibles kentucky hauls in two four-star wide receivers and dane uh, key and barry and brown plus they get a bama transfer and javon brown who moves over to kentucky as well you know look their defense is what they've been more known for and that's what mark stoops is known for as a head coach but now with will levis at quarterback who was a breakout last year. Some are projecting him to go in the top five in this year's NFL draft. You give him playmakers on the outside, even though Wandale Robinson is gone. Tell you what, Kentucky could make some noise in the SEC East here in 2022. I'll go ahead and start beating the drum. They're going to finish second in the East this year. It's, Love it. Um, that's my, here's my hot take, hot take approved. for this episode. Hot take approved, baby. Let's go. They're going to finish second in the East this year. And I... Kentucky could be sneaky scary for the next few years because you're telling me everything Mark Stoops has done in Lexington, all he's done is just win seven to eight, seven to nine games a year yeah. without the talent of every other school in that division, say Vanderbilt. Um, and you're telling me now he's going to sign a top 15 class. If that becomes the norm, look out. They like – that is scary. The coaching staff there is already incredible. You give them talent that's comparable to the teams in their division, that's scary for the SEC mm-hmm. East. Yeah, I completely agree. I think you know we'll get into team previews, conference previews, 
further down the line, but you know, Trey love that tip of the hand right there. I think I'm, I think I'm right there with you. I, I need to truly decide where I'm going to put my money as far as, you know, the order of the SEC East, but would not shock me to see Kentucky finish there um, in the, in the top two for sure. All right. So those are our recruiting superlatives, best overall Texas A&M, most disappointing Arizona state, most surprising Arizona, best transfer class Ole Miss and best breakout class goes to Kentucky. Now we want to move into uh, something else where we've kind of lumped these teams into a general category cause for concern. And Trey, you're going to run point here on this. You've got a couple of programs that you're not disappointed in necessarily, but at the same time, the programs might not be going in the direction that their fan bases would like to see. Yeah, so just looking at these three schools that we're going to highlight, like you said, if you are not having success on the field right now, if your school is not having success, you want to at least be able to look into the pipeline, look at the recruiting class and say, okay, there's something to hope for in the future. And these three schools that we're highlighting right now, just there's a lot of cause for concern for those fan bases with their coaching situations, both on the field and the recruiting classes that they signed this year kind of back that up as well. So our three schools, first one is Auburn. Um, so Auburn comes in, they finished 20th in the recruiting, which on the surface, you know, doesn't sound that bad. Top 20 class, that's not too bad. But when you look at where that's at in the SEC, it's not anywhere near the top. And I was, full disclosure behind the curtain here, I was hoping that 247 would have that way more accessible at the top of Auburn's page. They did not. But um, they are behind <laughs> Alabama, behind Auburn, um, behind LSU, um, behind A&M, behind several other schools in Looks the like conference. Looks like they finished Georgia, ninth in the SEC. Missouri, ninth in the SEC. Thank you. I was stalling until someone else could pull that up. Um, but... <laughs> When you combine that just with all the drama that we've seen at Auburn this offseason with Brian Harson, a guy that came from Boise, doesn't have a lot of connections to the South. There's a lot of concern there. Again, they got 18 high school guys. They got some guys through the portal. Um, there's talent there. There's always going to be talent at Auburn, but there's a lot of cause for concern. I would be shocked if we're talking about Brian Harson as the coach of Auburn this time next year. Wow. So you think wow. he's going to get ousted after Short the, leash. How after this not? season? Look at they wanted to fire him in February. Oh, they true. they wanted to let him go. They were trying everything they could. I think he either I don't know if he gets canned, but I think he steps down at the very least like just human element. I don't know how you could go on <laughs> being somewhere where you know deep down they don't want you i mean he could shock the world and win 10 games that's kind of how auburn rolls is when you think that they're down they go win 10 or 11 games and, and then beat, everybody and would love them. That, yeah that was the gus malzahn story um <laughs> for his entire tenure at auburn but yeah. there's a lot of cause for concern um i don't know do you guys have any thoughts on auburn before i move to the next one i, I agree that's very on brand for yeah. war eagle yeah, totally. And I mean, I think the thing about Auburn too is, you know, you you lose a couple of games to those, uh, you know, little schools on the schedule that are they're maybe not in your conference. You know, he could lose maybe one or two of those with the roster he's got. And yeah, he may not even make it through the season. So love the take there. Yeah, it, it, it's not exciting times on the planes. I questioned that higher from day one. Um, but yeah, just moving forward. 
My next cause for concern is the Florida State Seminoles. They check in at number 21 on the recruiting class. They did finish 15th in the transfer ranking, um, but they had 16 high school commits. This is more about the meltdown that we saw from their fan base on signing day. If you weren't following along (laughs) on signing day, holy cow. Um, maybe the most entertaining day on Twitter that I've ever seen as Florida state loses out to um, not just not the, the highlight one is obviously um, losing out to Jackson state um, for a five-star prospect. And that, but that it didn't stop there. They, they also let A&M come into Florida and get a couple five-star guys. they, let um, a couple other schools that's just been par for the course for the Seminoles for the last few years um, dating back to when Jimbo Fisher left Um, so it's with Cristobal coming in and Napier coming into the state I don't think there's bright days ahead for Florida State under Norvell Um, and then lastly Nebraska Um, Nebraska checks in 41st Um, Nebraska never really, um, in modern times, doesn't really recruit high-profile classes. They usually are the the under-the-radar guys, but this one was lower even for them. Um, 18 signatures. Guys, Scott Frost, it's make-or-break time um, for him. Even though he is the Nebraska's favorite son, not a lot to look forward to. Was the favorite son. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe Um, not so much anymore. Maybe not so much anymore, but... um, it's make or break time for him. He was hired partly, not just because of the connections to Nebraska, but he was supposed to bring in a lot more talent from Florida from his time at UCF. Yeah. And that just has not happened. You look at Nebraska on the field, they look a step slower than every team in the big 10. And that's saying something. Um, they are not where they need to be. They're not where that fan base wants them to be. And that fan base is going to have to decide, if they keep recruiting at this level, they're going to be a fringe bowl team every year um, in the Big Ten. And when you talk about the history that Nebraska has and just how that fan base is so used to winning at the highest level, they're going to have to decide, are we okay with being a fringe bowl team in 2022? Is that the reality that we're okay with in Nebraska football? I don't think so. And I think this recruiting class is not the final straw, but it's – close to breaking the camels back in Lincoln. Yeah, the the sellout streak could certainly be on the line. It was on the line last year. Uh, yeah, they had Nebraska. to like, buy up all the tickets, right? To, the to give away to like daycares and, and yeah. you know, like after school children's programs, which is great. Don't get me wrong. That is fantastic. But, you know, like, yeah, it the the straights in Nebraska have never been more dire. They lost to, to Illinois to start the season last year. They play Northwestern to start the season this year. To be honest, Trey, I don't know. If they lose to Northwestern, I don't know that Scott Frost gets to make the trip back from Dublin with the team. Like, that could be the new tarmac story. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. It's hard when it's the first game of the season. You definitely have, I think, a situation at the very least, like 2017 Texas A&M, where they lose in Pasadena and everyone just kind of knows that someone is done yeah. the entire year. Dead that's probably the best case if they yeah. lose that game to Northwestern. Yeah, But yeah. You would hope you wouldn't get left abroad, right? 
he might. I mean, <laughs> he might have trouble finding his passport. Yeah, Who knows? I was gonna say. <laughs> suddenly, the uh, the import export business uh, loses his passport, and Scott Frost is is stuck over there in Dublin. Um, you know, Trey, I, great job there. I think I agree with you on all of those points. Florida State, you know, the recruiting, not even being able to defend their home turf against you know other teams like Bama, like LSU, like Texas A and M coming into the state. I mean, they weren't even in, in the race for Shamar Stewart. You know, one of the best D-line prospects to, to come out of Florida in, in modern history, they weren't even in the, the the realm of possibility for him. So I agree. I think some concerning times for Mike Norvell, that's just never worked for him. He's been off to such a bad start. They lost to Jacksonville State last year, for crying out loud. Yeah, and you'd hope in the recruiting, like th- that second year is where you're supposed to get that big bump, especially yeah. at a school like Florida State. You know, you're yeah. supposed to allegedly have been making inroads in the state, making building relationships with prospects, but really that Travis Hunter saga on yeah. signing day where they lose a five-star commit top 10 in the country to Jackson State and Coach Prime, man, I think like he lost the fan base when yeah. that happened. You, you just look on Twitter. There was a Twitter space yeah. that lasted. Fire Mike Norvell. Fire Mike Norvell. It lasted four or five hours, and they yeah. were just kicking anyone out that didn't want to fire Mike Norvell. You had to say, I was in that space, like I'm sure you guys were for a little bit. You had yep. to say, to be granted speaking privileges, you had to start by saying, hey, guys, fire Mike Norvell, and then you could make your point. I mean, it was <laughs> it was the largest Twitter dumpster fire of the day for sure. Um, Twitter spaces can be a dark place. Not not where you want to be. Speaking of Twitter spaces, if you're not following us on Twitter, at 3TechPod, over on Instagram and Twitter, come find Easy us. Easy plug. That's, that's right. Ring the cash register. Um, well, yeah, Trey, great job on three, three teams that we have cause for concern. Before we get to kind of a very quick look ahead to 2023 in the recruiting class there. Uh, we still need to talk about players that we're most excited to watch at this level. And then a couple of guys that we're concerned about. And Garrett, I think you're leading off with that. For sure. For sure. So here's just kind of a real quick list of players I'm most excited about at the next level. Um, number one, you got Luther Burden. This guy, absolutely my favorite guy to watch at the next level. I will make Missouri football a must watch every week. This guy, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw him at the camp. It's camps. a big statement. Hold on. Missouri football being a, quote, must watch. It is a league. must watch. Yes, Woo! Luther Burton. Yes. Hot if you, you guys see him at the camps, he was a man amongst boys out there. He yeah. was, I mean, mossing guys, running past guys, stiff arms. Like, this guy, he can do pretty much everything. He is a legit house call threat anywhere on the field, and he's going to be the focal point at Mizzou. I looked it up. Last year's leading wide receiver had 576 yards receiving. Uh, I mean, Luther Burden, you know, he's he's going to be able to match that, and I think in a couple of games. I mean, this guy is going to be a stud. Uh, very excited to see what he can do in Missouri. He's going to be a burden for defensive backs. hey There we go. Anyways, um, so Cade Klubnick <laughs> is my number two guy. We got to see him uh, in person take down Quinn Ewers and the Carroll Dragons yep. back in high school, back in that state championship game. That was sensational. Uh, and obviously him going over to Clemson, um, we all know that DJU didn't exactly wow everyone in his first big year. Um, and if he doesn't keep that job, uh, I think Kate could bring the Tigers back to the top of the ACC. Uh, third guy I've got here is Walter Nolan. Uh, he is the crown jewel of that Aggie D-line hall. Um, and look, I mean, 
you, know, you can say whatever you want to. We already talked about the NIL thing, but this guy is about the hardest worker you're going to find. Um, if you listen to the people at the all-star camps, everyone said that he is about as hard a worker as they had ever seen. Always in there, first guy ready to take reps. He is a massive guy. He moves surprisingly well for his size. Uh, he's an explosive dude with very long arms, and he's just going to – I think he's going to be really exciting to watch uh, from day one. Could be a starting mm-hmm. candidate there. Um, fourth guy I've got on this list, Jihad Campbell. Uh, he's got everything you want to play opposite Will Anderson on that Bama D-line. Uh, you know, everyone wanted this guy. This is a guy that was recruited across the country, across the South. Uh, obviously, I think he had a late decommit from Clemson and then, you know, kind of through AM, who's, you know, putting that big D-line class together. I think Bama was in the running as well, ended up getting him. Uh, you know, Saban gets his guy again. He's a quick guy. He's relentless. You watch the tape. Definitely not a guy that you want to line up across. Uh, this is just Bama reloading once again. And then uh, Drew Aller actually might be the best uh, quarterback on the board. I know a lot of people had him as their top quarterback, but he, I think he's the answer Penn State's been looking for. Uh, he's got a really strong arm. He can make any throw on the field. Pocket awareness, definitely a plus there. Really smooth throwing motion. Uh, he's got to have the Nittany Lion fans excited about the possibilities. Don't know that he's the answer in year one, uh, but you know you get him in, you refine him a little bit, uh, and I think they can elevate to the top of that Big Ten conference. Here's a couple of guys I'm concerned about, though. Um, first guy, I think you got to say you're concerned about. This is going to sound like a hot take, but let me get where I'm going. Travis Hunter, uh, definitely with the talent to go both ways at JSU, right? Definitely with the talent. I'm not questioning his performance. Uh, I'm just kind of questioning his fit and whether or not he's going to make it uh, with the development and, and with the, the level of competition he's going against. I'm just kind of wondering if this is the top of the peak for him. You know, obviously, you're coming out, you're the, you're the guy in the country. You're, you're hoping to get in a situation that'll get you drafted. Not saying he won't get drafted. I'm just really curious to see if his development keeps him at the top of draft boards here in a few years. Uh, and the other guy that I'm a little concerned about is Harold Perkins, another guy that wanted to go both ways. Uh, but that's, I think, the issue for him. I think it's he wants to play linebacker and running back. That was a big factor in his recruitment. Yeah. That's a lot of wear and tear on a body, guys, especially in the SEC West. You're going to be going in the trenches. You know, you're going to be sticking your your nose in there and trying to figure out how to, you know, you know, get through those holes. And man, there's just a lot of, you know, nicks and, you know, you're going to get rolled over and a lot of a lot of contact there. So I, I don't know if he has the the physical makeup. Yeah. He's going to be doing it every week, both sides. So, I mean, I don't know that he can do that. Um, look, the sec West is physical. We all know that maybe he changes his mind and transfers out. Maybe he changes his mind and just wants to play running back or just wants to play linebacker. Um, but again, I'm just concerned about his longevity, especially with the trend in the NFL, uh, you know, going for guys running backs who maybe haven't had as much contact or haven't had Mm -hmm. as much, uh, you know, wear and tear on him. They're wanting to find a guy who can go a little bit longer in a, into a career. So those are a couple of guys I'm concerned about. Anybody else that I missed on that list? I don't, at least I don't have anyone that, that I think you missed. You know, it, certainly Harold Perkins, to me, he's got a, a Zach Evans feel. Garrett, like you mentioned earlier, it felt like Zach Evans was committed to a different team on every other, you know, each next day. Oh, Perkins yeah. was a guy that, you know, nearly committed to Texas, then did commit to A&M, decommitted from the Aggies. Um, and then ultimately ended up at LSU, you know, for the kids' sake, uh, just because I think there is a 
a program fit there where he can play. I hope he stays at LSU, but you know, it, it's kind of got that feel like, oh, maybe this guy just kind of goes where the wind takes him. Um, LSU is home for him. That's home for his family. So again, like I said, hopefully he sticks there. But I do agree that the wanting to play both sides in the SEC West, that's not typically a recipe for success, certainly not to get to the next level. So, you know, I'll, I'll certainly agree with you there. All right, so looking ahead, the last section here, we'll look ahead to 2023. Top five classes as of right now, uh, we're recording this in the middle of May, May 15th, um, which will obviously be a little bit before you guys get this episode. But right now we've got Notre Dame uh, at the top with 13 commits. Marcus Freeman doing a tremendous job there in South Bend. Texas Tech at number two, Joey Mack. Tell you what, McGuire has got the boys believing out in West Texas. 20 commits. Penn State at number three. Georgia at number four. Ohio State at number five. Uh, Ohio State just picked up the commitment from Dylan Riola, the top quarterback in the country, top player in the country out of Chandler, Arizona. Um, you know, any any thoughts that we have from those top five? Do we think that those five teams have a chance of sticking around? I know we had voiced that, you know, Texas Tech is probably going to fall, especially because they already have 20 commits and as other schools, you know, uh, increase their volume, they'll drop down the rankings, but you know, Georgia, Ohio state, even Notre Dame, I think you can make cases that all three of those have legitimate chances to finish inside the top five, maybe even the top three. Oh yeah. No, Georgia and Ohio state, I think definitely finish you know, top five for sure. That's pretty much a yearly thing. Um, uh, yeah, Texas Tech probably going to fall off a little bit. It, there is something to be said, though, for having your class solidified this early on and having enough guys on the ship so you know what you're working with. Um, don't think Notre Dame's going to stay that high. I think they stay top 10, but probably not top five. Yeah, I think, um, and just looking down the list a little bit, um, also shout out Arkansas for being uh, top 10. Um, you got the, some of the usual suspects further down the list. Um Another surprise as of right now is um, Oklahoma all the way down at 23. They're not yep. typically Oof. that far down, um, but only five commits right now. So still plenty of time to make some moves. Yeah, but they got general booty now. So we're, they did get we're working booty, in Oklahoma. And that will be a bit starting in 2023. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that poor kid. Um <laughs> the jokes write themselves. It. No, 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 no. It's not a poor kid. He is embraced. Well, he has. General booty lifestyle. <laughs> Put it on a t-shirt. Hey, if you're going to be named general booty, lean into it, right? Imagine yeah. the NIL opportunities, guys. He, very true. If he never plays a down at Oklahoma, he's going to sell a bunch of t-shirts. That's right. Oh, I think yes. Fruit of the Loom, Tommy Johns, they should be on the phone as we speak with him. Uh, last thing, top five uncommitted prospects. You've got Arch Manning, uh, clearly a relation to the Manning family. Um, Cooper's kid, quarterback from New Orleans, considering right now supposedly Bama, Georgia, Texas, and Virginia has recently come into the mix. There were some rumors that now all of a sudden he's not considering Alabama. I think that is just that, a rumor. LSU, Florida also in the mix. Uh, Kamani McLean, quarterback, uh, cornerback excuse me, from Lakeland, Florida, Considering Florida, Bama, Miami, Michigan, Ohio State, David Hicks, who's close to us, uh, was at Allen, now transferred down to Katie Paytow um, in the Houston area, considering A&M, Alabama, LSU, Ohio, or Ohio, um, Oklahoma, and Texas. Dante Moore, quarterback from Detroit, and then Caden Proctor, O-line 
from Iowa. Those are your top five prospects on the board. We don't have to go over all five of these guys. Any any hot takes that either of y'all have, Garrett, your keeper of the takes, we'll start with you. Anybody on that list that you just want to you know sprinkle a little spice into? Um, look, for me, Arch Manning, pretty overrated. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of consensus on this podcast. And I, I think you look across the landscape, and sure, the recruiting services love him. I mean, guys, I'm not a, I'm not a master or, uh, you know, an authority on watching film, but he's playing at the 2A level in Louisiana against a bunch of smaller, slower kids. Like, I don't get it, personally. And to be fair to him, it would be absolutely impossible for him to live up to the hype of yeah. his recruitment at this point. He, from the time that that kid was 13 years old, it was, where's this kid going to go? He's going to be the next big thing that leads a program to a national championship. That's hard to live up to. Um, I agree. We're in unanimous, uh, unanimous opinion on that. Um, will he be a good college quarterback? Yeah, probably. He has all the coaching available to him in the family and, a lot of good tools. Will he be the best quarterback of this class? I don't think so. Yeah. For, for me, I'm looking at Kermani McClain there at number two, Lakeland, Florida guy, Miami. There is no reason you should not win that battle. There is zero reason that Cristobal should not reel him in and bring him to the U, especially now with NIL being legal. We know Miami has a rich donor base that is willing to throw cash around not that that's his only motivation, but with a you know fiery head coach and NIL opportunities all over the place, McLean should end up at Miami. Will he end up at a Bama, Ohio State, Michigan? We'll see. But for me, anything less than securing him and putting him in the green and orange for Miami will be a failure on Cristobal's, uh, Cristobal's part. Yeah, look out for the Gators, though. They're currently seem to be the favorites, at least according to the recruiting community. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, anything else that stands out from this list, or do we think we've, we're done? I mean, this has, been a, this has been a meaty podcast. Lots to talk about, lots more we could go to, but yeah. we'll save that for another day. Yeah. And we talk about the Jimmys and Joes, right? That's what we're here to do. We're talking about the guys on the field. Uh, these are going to be the names that we're going to be talking about the next couple of years, so uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Completely agree. All right, fellas, it's been a blast today. Uh, thank you guys for checking in, spending some of your time with us wherever or however you may be listening. We certainly appreciate it. Again, as a brand new podcast, uh, please drop by, give us a follow on your podcasting uh, platform of choice, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you name it. Uh, subscription, a follow goes a long way. Also, leave us a comment, a review, let us know what you think, and head over to our social media, again, at 3 Pod on Instagram and Twitter. The more follows, the more engagement, obviously the more content that we can spit out and, uh, you know, honestly just helps the show grow. It's free 99, doesn't cost a single thing for you guys to show a little bit of support and uh, help a podcast that, you know, look, this is what we do. We, we love talking college football content. We have got a lengthy slate of content planned out, not only for the summer, but also in the fall as well. So make sure you give us a follow, subscribe, do whatever it's got to take to stay up with us on social media and uh, promise you won't be sorry. For Trey Reeves, for Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for hanging out with us on episode three of The Three Technique, a college football podcast presented by Anchor. Until next time, 
So long, everybody.